So he drives to our house. And so he's there the next morning at like eight o'clock in the morning. We're having breakfast, hanging out. He comes in with his little duffel bag and it's like duct taped up. He's got his little Fu Manchu and <laughs> the most like aggressive, like just my mom was like completely turned off by this guy. She's like, you're not playing for him. Oh, really? Oh yeah. She didn't like Pat at all. And my, but my dad was like, this guy's the one. <laughs> that's, that's it was amazing. so funny, you man. You have those polar opposite oh, dudes, yeah, the same yeah. dude. Because he was eating off my mom's plate. Like he was just like <laughs> grabbing her drink and like, I'm like looking at him like this dude's literally insane. Today's episode brought to you in part by our new sponsor, DraftKings. Been using them for the last uh, several years to play daily fantasy. Now you can use them to bet on games. Yes, you don't have to find some place that's based in Belize or South America or the Caribbean. DraftKings, based right here on U.S. soil, allows you to bet on their new app right now. What better time? You have the NBA playoffs beginning. Major League Baseball is going on. The NHL playoffs have started. You can bet on golf. The NFL regular season right around the corner. So it's not just daily fantasy, which is awesome. I highly encourage you to use DraftKings to play daily fantasy, but now you can bet on games. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use the code HELIPOD when you sign up for a limited time. All new users can get a sign-up bonus of up to $1 thousand dollars i'm not joking DraftKings sportsbook has a sign up right now up to one thousand bucks just enter the code helipod h-e-l-l-i-e-p-o-d when you sign up only at the DraftKings sportsbook and of course viore i've been talking about these clothes forever because i have been wearing them forever and absolutely love it athleisure wear at its finest whether you're in yoga, riding the Peloton, walking your dog, hanging out at your house. Perhaps you're one of the lucky few who is getting on an airplane and traveling. It looks cool, it feels great. Everything from hoodies to joggers to shorts to board shorts if you're going to the beach. Great beach day here in California. I'll be throwing on my Viore board shorts. I have 20% off, especially for you. VioreClothing.com slash helipod, that's V-U-O-R-I clothing dot com slash helipod for 20% off today. I promise you, you're going to love it. And you know what else you're going to love? You're going to love our new episode of the helipod today. Went to Bakersfield, California. It was 105 degrees and sat down with David Carr. It was story time at its finest. This guy has an absolute palace uh, in Bakersfield, there's a football field out back. There's a big workout facility, a red barn where he brings guys in to work out. It's so nice that actually his brother Derek uh, has brought members of the Raiders over the last few years to have workouts out there uh, behind his house. Unbelievable pool. Uh, but enough about that. The stories were phenomenal. We went in-depth on what Derek Carr is thinking going into this season with the Raiders, with Marcus Mariota as his backup. David, of course, the number one overall pick back in 2002, the expansion Houston Texans had an offensive line that probably could not have started for a major college. He was sacked a record 76 times. He talks about what was going through his head as a young football player just really trying to survive as he went into each and every game. And he bounced around a little bit after that, ended up with the New York Giants as Eli Manning's backup, won a Super Bowl in 2002. And 11 had some pit stops uh, with the San Francisco 49ers and Carolina Panthers along the way. So great chat 
with David Carr. It is the latest episode of the Helipod. Hope you love it. Starts right now, presented by Viore. So we made the trek up to Bakersfield, California. Welcome. Thank Welcome. you. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. We get off the five. We drive through some like strawberry fields and some cow pastures. You're making it sound. Oh, you, you were gonna make it sound way too nice. When you hit the cow pasture. <laughs> we're like, wow, there's not there's not a ton around here, and then we pull up to your pad and we see the whole the whole spread and the, the workout facility in the background yeah. and the barn where you train a bunch of players. And now I get it, dude. You got to kind of build your own oasis out here. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't. When they when you show up, it's just dirt, and you got to kind of get creative with it. So, but it's my home, man. That's where my family is. That's where I grew up, and that's where I kind of knew I was always going to be. Honestly, is back out here because we were in New York, we were in Texas, we were in Charlotte, we were everywhere. We were in the Bay Area, and then we would just keep coming back and and visiting, and we'd stay like for a week, and we'd stay for like two weeks, and then we're stuck in like my parents' little a guest room with like three of us, and we're like, why don't I just buy a house here? And then when we come back, we'll have a place to stay, and that turned into. You know, now we're we're in, dude. Well, you have everybody, right? You're, so your your folks living yeah. here. Your brother's gonna build a house next door, and yeah, I mean it's 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 the car family business. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's been fun. We uh, we used to drive around. Um, me and my my brother Darren, who's three years younger than me, and with my dad, we would look for fields to play on. Like, and we would we would do this like for an hour after school, and like, oh no, someone's there. Oh, we'd go to the other park. Someone's on the on the field there. I'm like, you know, if I ever have a chance, I'm just gonna build a, a big grass space so we just have a place to play. And, and all the people that I know have a place to just go. And so that's what we have back here. We have a, a little like 60 yard football field and it's perfect because we have you know, the high school kids come over. My kids always have a place to go. We never have to look for a field and it's been, it's been awesome. So it just kinda, it also makes all the kids come here so I can keep my eye on them. Which is perfect, right? Cause Smart, now you know yeah. you know what's going on. Sometimes I don't like what I see, but at least, <laughs> <laughs> at least I see it. Um, so we had your buddy Ryan Khalil on uh, a couple of weeks ago. He was great. Um, and I, I know we've talked about doing this for a while, so I'm glad we finally got a chance to, uh, to do this. And I, I don't know that you've been able to listen to many of these, but we always kind of delve into the rookie year and like yeah. how things progress. But before we start that, I just want to go into a couple of current events things. Okay, perfect. Um, I would say I saw this article you wrote on NFL.com, but I know how this works for you guys, what are like you talking writing about? the <laughs> articles on NFL.com. <laughs> but it was uh, your top wide receiver duos. Yeah, I know. And, I mean, come on. Look, dude, here's what happens, okay? I'm supposed to say provocative things. Right. That's what you get paid to do. And I'm not really a provocative guy. I'm just going to tell the truth. I'm going to tell the truth. Right. Like, I got a lot of heat. And I still get it from, I made a, a top 10 quarterback list and Joe Montana was not on my top 10 all-time quarterback list. And it was mostly just because I liked Steve Young and I thought he was better in the system. And I was like, I can leave Joe off. Little did I know, you got crushed. it was the worst idea ever. And so that kind of continued on. So I still kind of make that mistake. And like, Cowboy fans are on Twitter and they are on social media. <laughs> like for the Cowboys not to be on that list the other day when I made that wide receiver duo. And my only argument was like, why isn't uh, you know Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb or Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup? I'm like, that's a trio. It's a trio. It's not a duo. And okay. by the way, CeeDee Lamb hasn't played a game He hasn't game even played. Yet. How do we even know he's any good? Like, okay, yeah, he made a lot of plays in college, but like, what am I supposed to do? Just throw him up there with yeah. Mike Evans and you know Chris Godwin and all these guys? I'm like, Michael Thomas and Sanders? I mean, they, he hasn't even caught a ball. Well, you did. I, I did. 
I found it very surprising. So here's the list, okay? So his number one <laughs> duo is Julio and Calvin Ridley. That was the biggest surprise to me. Yes. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, who both had over 1,100 yards, are number three. Number two, Woods and Cup from the Rams, solid. Then you have Michael Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, four, and then DeHop and Fitz, five. Yeah. Where did you get the most, most flack over? Not having the Cowboys on it. Like at, at any, at, it doesn't matter what two Cowboys I picked, just not having them on there. They did not like that. And like everyone references the, the yards, like you can throw for a lot of yards when you're losing, you know? So yeah, like, point. yeah. And they have a good offense. And like I even get nervous when I hear, even like, and I love Amari, played with Derek. I, I love the kid. But like when he says, oh, we're going to have 3,000 yard receivers, and I'm like, I don't, that do you want that? Like I'd rather have Zeke go for 2,000 and we win a lot of games. Right. So. Like, I don't really get the argument of the yards thing. But, I mean, there's a lot of good duos out there. I mean, I could have easily put Gallup and Amari on there. I mean, let's be honest. But it's just more fun to leave them off. I, I, I'm I, just Evans and Godwin. Like, that. that's why Brady went to Tampa for those like, two dudes. How's where that did the greatest quarterback ever decide to go play football? There's a reason he went there. Yeah. It wasn't because he had the same receiving core that he had in New England. He was yeah. like, nope, those two guys, I'm going to play with them. It, Easy. And did you – were you consciously leaving – Odell and Jarvis offers. No, so like I had them on. I had them on the list. And then, and I really think the Browns are going to be like last year, there was a lot of hype for the Browns, and I wasn't really feeling it. And I'm not saying that I'm not a Freddie Kitchens fan, but I think that that pairing was always kind of sketchy for me with him and Baker. It was too much too soon, right? Yeah, it was way too much too soon. And it was almost too much hype and too much noise. But like when Kevin Stefanski came in, I think they're going to have a, fant- a fantastic year. And so, like, I actually had Jarvis and Odell on the list. But then I don't remember who I even pulled him for. I think I pulled him for the Saints, for Michael Thomas and Sanders. And Emmanuel Sanders. Yeah, because Michael Thomas just, he's just pretty fantastic. Yeah, so and, and Emmanuel Sanders is, is a solid number yeah, two. Yeah, and he's with Drew Brees, so he's going to have, he's going to have big plays. He's going he's gonna to get his yards. So, I mean, I could have easily put the, the Browns and the Cowboys on there, but... You only get five. Now, see, that's the trick. If they say seven, it's easy. No one cares well, about the list. Well, and they don't want it to be the obvious five. You do oh, need yeah. to have some talkers on there. Of course. Yeah, because um, then otherwise it doesn't get any attention. Yeah. It's not fun. Oh, see, there you go. You're, yeah. get, you're getting this TV I'm, thing I'm after you, four man. or five years. And then, like, as far as the article thing, too, that's the. it was funny that you even brought that up because you know how it works. Oh, of course. So I went to Fresno State, okay? It's no, I don't have to whisper here, but, like, we're not, you know. Uh, you it's know, not hard. One of those, uh, yeah, places where you're like, oh, wow. Um, and so everyone's like, you wrote that article? And it's almost like with a, you can actually write. <laughs> and sometimes it's my, my teachers from like, because I see people like in Bakersfield that like, my fifth grade teacher, she's like, you wrote that article. I'm like, no, thank you for the backhanded compliment. But no, I did not. Well, the funny thing is, and I'll say this because I, I know he probably hasn't listened to a, an episode of the Helipod since he was on the very first one, Willie McGinnis. But you tell Willie that, dude, you didn't write that. He gets angry. Like, really? Like, oh, yeah. Oh, like, come on. Of course. I, I, I know how it works. Really? Come on, dude. <laughs> you know. You told them who you wanted. They put it together. What happened is they wrote it. They sent it to you. And you were like, kind of saw it early in the morning. You're like, that looks good. Yeah. yeah go for it. You might have cha- you you changed the, the two yeah, to the yeah, three yeah. or the three no, to the one. No, I flipped those guys. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, fine. Yeah, now exactly. can I send it in. All right. A few more current events things. Brady to the Bucks. something that we're all going to be, obviously monitoring all season long. Yeah. Are you more interested in how Brady's going to do with the Bucks, or how Bill and the Patriots are going to do without Brady and Cam's going to do with the Patriots? I don't know, man. I, I, I'm kind of split. Uh, I, I think that the easiest, um, I think the easiest thing to see is kind of like how Brady's going to play 
offensive football. Like that's pretty. I think he's going to go to Tampa Bay and Bruce Arians and Byron Left, which have already said our offense is pretty adaptable. We can make it whatever we want it to right. be, and that kind of opens them up to, hey, Tom, what do you want to run? So we kind of know we're going to get there. And so you see him bring in like Shady. You see him bring in Gronk. Godwin's going to play more inside in that Edelman type role. So I can almost like see what Tampa Bay's offense is going to be. And I think it's going to be pretty good. Like they're going to play inside out. They'll play matchups. They got a lot of pieces. Now the offensive line is a little sketchy. I'm a little, I'm a little concerned about that. But Brady will get it out of his hand. I mean, he'll, he'll just find He's ways. He's played with offensive lines that haven't been great yeah, before. He did, yeah, he'll find a way. You know, they'll, they'll just speed it up. They'll use screens. They'll smoke and mirror. So I kind of know what that's going to look like. What I, I don't know is what it's going to be like in New England. I think that's going to be interesting. And I also think that the Cam Newton thing is so intriguing to me because when I watch, when I watch Belichick, he's always been, we've always talked about it, he's one of the greatest X's and O's guys ever, right? Defensively, offensively, he finds a way to find that advantage. And the one thing that he hasn't been able to do with Brady there is utilize the quarterback as that extra guy in the run. And that's like the ultimate advantage. And when you look at college football and you look at what the Ravens have done and you see how they're utilizing the quarterback in the run game, I, I have to imagine Belichick's been wanting to do this for five years, ten years. Like, just give me a guy that I can now, because we sit in quarterback rooms. I remember we'd sit there with Eli in New York. And we'd spend our whole day trying to figure out how to get that sixth and seventh guy out of the box. Mm -hmm. So we can hand it off and then watch our running back run. But when the quarterback is involved in that, now that six-man box with five blockers and the quarterback and the running back able to run. It's a level playing field. There's no extra body. So now Cam Newton's involved in the run game. I have to think that he's healthy. I'm, I'm saying he's healthy, he's energized, he's ready to go run the football. Like You don't go get Cam Newton, if you're Bill Belichick, to ask him to play Norv Turner-style offense. You go get him to run the football and be that guy. If he does it for a year, great. If he can do it for two or three or longer, even better. But that's what we're going to do with him. We're going to utilize that matchup. So... That's what I'm interested to see. I think, I think Belichick's he couldn't be happier. Now he's losing a lot of guys on defense. Right. Like if they had last year's defense, then I would think this would be a team that would be almost guaranteed a playoff spot. But I just don't know what that's going to look. We well, lose like. a couple of starters on defense. It's going to be You lose your right tackle. Yeah. I mean, they. I think it's eight guys total, six or eight guys. Yeah. That they, they've lost that have. They'll have the advantage X's and O's wise on the offensive side. And Josh McDaniels did this in 2010 with Tim Tebow. Like he drafted Tim to run this style of offense. So he's wanted to do this for a decade. You know, now he's got Cam Newton, an ex-MVP that, you know, is seemingly healthy and wants to do this. But, and Cam can obviously spin it as well. Like, well, yeah, no, and I like it. Willie gave me a hard time because I used Tim Tebow and Cam Newton in the same sentence. That's, and my, I'm like, that's my initial reaction. No, and I get it. But, but I'm, thinking, I'm thinking of it more of a matchup standpoint, like right. where the quarterback's involved in the run game. Like, you have to account for him running the football yeah, you have to every account. single play. Every snap. So that extra guy has to be there. And now all those receivers that we said weren't any good that Brady left – are now in one-on-one -on -one situations. And every receiver I've ever met can win one-on-ones if they're NFL-level receiver. So, you know, now Nikhil Harry and Sanu and Edelman, like all these guys are now in one-on-one -on -one situations. They're going to they're gonna chop it up. They're going to beat these guys. And so it's going to be really interesting, man. If, if their defense is any good at all, if they can be a top half of the league defense, they're a playoff team. Which you would think, even though they're missing a couple of starters, they should be able, yeah, I think be so. able to do that. Yeah. Uh, more success in year one, Tua or Joe Burrow? Uh, I think it depends on when they get on the field. I really, I, I really get nervous for for Burrow just because of of where he's at and just the history of that and knowing Carson Palmer and talking to him. And I'm not saying that it's a, a bad organization. I just think that there have historically been it's been difficult there. And 
when it's hard to get free agent guys in, it's hard to keep guys there, you know, can you have the longevity and the success? And I hopefully, hopefully you can, but Joe Burrow is, he's, you know, Carson Palmer was talented. Andy Dalton's talented. Like he's going to have to find an edge. Like what is that edge that he has? Is it preparation? Is it just incredible accuracy that he showed at LSU? Um, what is that? Now he has the pieces. He has wide receivers. He's got the back. Zach Taylor's got to step his game up for me. Like I watched them X's nose wise. We watched Sean McVay and I, I watched your helipod with, yeah, with Sean McVay. He's a wizard of offensive football. And, you know, Zach's from that mold, but I didn't see the same things, you know, when I watched Cincinnati last year. So they're going to have to ramp that up too and create some offense for your quarterback because you can't just ask him to go out there and make a winning throw every time. So that's where I get concerned. I'm not concerned about his talent. I'm not concerned about his work ethic. I think he's a good football player. It's, it's all those surrounding pieces. And then so when you go to Tua, I think Tua has a chance to be successful. I like their head coach. I like that they brought in Chan Gailey. Chan Gailey's been running RPOs since like 1970. Like he almost invented that stuff. Like couldn't really bring it in the NFL game, but wanted to. And I've talked to Chan and I know, I know Fitz. And, and Did you Fitz, have Chan in your career? No, I didn't, but I would, we had a lot of the, uh, a lot of the same, you know, we, we met in a lot of the same circles. Like my right. offensive coordinator in Houston was one of his good friends. So he would come out and he would visit us and he would hang out and he would talk ball when he was, when he didn't have a job or like, you know how coaches right. are sometimes sure. they're out of a, a Make the a rounds. Job. Yeah. So, but I'd see him a lot and we would talk about, and he always wanted to advance, advance the offensive system. Like you, you remember he was like, he was the wildcat guy. Yeah. He's always that That's guy. A good point. So I think that Tua's got a chance to play earlier. Um, maybe not, not earlier than Joe. Joe's going to be the starter, but like earlier than probably we expect. I think that when he goes out there and he's in that kind of up tempo Alabama, you know, style college offense, that that gives you the opportunity to play better earlier um, instead of trying to sit back there and decipher what all the eleven defenders are doing, what the defensive scheme is. In that kind of offense, you just snap it and go. So I think he can play earlier, and I like his skill set. I think Tua, if his hip is fine. He's, he's incredibly gifted, so he's going to be just fine. Just, I think Miami might be better, honestly, than Cincinnati. Cincinnati. So I think, I think Miami got a chance. Are we going to see incredibly sloppy football the first couple of weeks with no preseason games? I don't know, man. Like, I'm watching I'm, – I'm a big Dodger fan, and, like, these guys are batting below 200 except for, you know, the other night, and, and they're winning games, and it's like – it's kind of sloppy. They didn't have, like, the normal offseason. They kind of broke the season in half and right. started over again. So I kind of started thinking about that. Is that going to be the same for quarterbacks or offensive football? And I think for some teams it will be. I think some teams it's going to be incredibly sloppy. But I think there's other teams, and this year in particular, I think there's a huge advantage for guys that have had a relationship with their coordinator or play caller. And been there. And been there, yeah. Because I'll talk to some guys, we'll do interviews with them on the network, or we'll do, and they, they haven't touched a playbook, or they've, they've kind of seen it through the virtual space. They haven't been one-on-one with their guys until they show up to training camp. So they didn't do anything all off season until they show up and now they're in kind of this OTA mode. Like, how do you develop any chemistry there? Then I talk to my brother or I see what Brady's doing and these guys have had 50 practices like together and they've been able to have the coach relay the information to the quarterback and he literally takes an offensive script out there and they, they've been running full practices in the desert in Vegas for like two months, you know? Oh, wow. And so if you have that opportunity and you have that guy then you have a, a huge advantage, I think. So I think that there's going to be some sloppy football, but with the veteran guys, I think you're going to see, I think there's going to be a bigger gap, you know, where it's usually like, oh, we love parity. I think there's going to be some really bad teams. I think there's going to be some really good teams. Interesting. Yeah, because the NFL is built around parity, right? Yeah, and everybody's eight and eight. And then yeah. if you're a little bit better, you go to the playoffs. If you're not, you go home. So You brought up your brother. Um, <clears throat> do you, 
it, was it harder for you to read and hear criticism about you as a player or about your brother now? Uh, by far him, you know, because, you know, for me, I felt like I, you know, I could do something about it or I knew like 100% whose fault it was or like, you know, in, in each situation, I'm like, well, that wasn't my fault. So like the critique would be like, oh, that wasn't. You wouldn't really, even worry about it. Can't really do anything about that, you know? Um, but like for him, I can watch it on film. I can talk to him. But it's just one of those things. Like quarterback is so hard because you have to win. It all comes down to winning. It doesn't matter. Like if you look at his numbers last year, and then when you even talk to Derek, he's like, I felt as good last year as I have my entire career. My MVP season in 2016, I played a lot better this year than I did then. Is that right? Yeah, and he'll tell you that. And so you're like, okay, so it's a lot of it's just it comes down to your seven and nine. Right, so you didn't get in the playoffs, and so that's what it really is. Ten, team, you got to win. You got to get in the playoffs. You got to, you got to win Super Bowls. That's what you're ultimately, you know, looked at as far as the quarterback goes. So for him, he just got to get that done. And I think they have the guys around him now. Offensive line stacked, running game's good. You got all the pieces. You know, you add a rugs, and you think, okay, is he that big of a game changer? And I think if you get a guy like that, it just makes everyone else better. Now. Tyrell Williams doesn't have to go against the number one guy. Now he's going against the number two guy. Now right. Hunter Renfro doesn't have to go against the number one or number two guy. He's going against their third nickel or maybe a linebacker. So everybody gets better matchup-wise because at the end, that's what it's all about. You know, when you're looking at it from a quarterback perspective is your matchups. We were talking about Brady earlier. Like, that's why he picked Evans and Godwin because those guys are matchup guys. Now I plug Gronk in. That's a third guy that I have a matchup with. So you just you find those pieces, and if you have them, you have a chance and. They got a chance if their defense can get them the ball back. I mean, because when you look at it, you can put Brady and Derek's numbers up last year against each other, and Derek's were a lot better. You know, but Brady gets a huge contract. He goes to Tampa Bay, and he's the savior of the world. Derek's like, oh, should he even be the quarterback here? So it's kind of a weird dynamic, but you got to win football games. What it comes down to you, f you feel it so well because we lean on you and have you know when we would do shows together and let's talk about Derek. Let's get Derek on. Let's do this. Yeah. And you always handled that really well. And the most recent question was. When he said, I'm tired of being disrespected. And I, I, I was watching that day and you, you said, well, I, I disrespect him, of course. <laughs> you, you have to think about it. And I know we do pre-show meetings and stuff, like yeah. how you're going to answer these questions yeah. in a way where your job is to be an analyst. Yep. But it's your brother. Yeah, it's hard. Man. It's not easy. No, it's really difficult. It's probably the hardest part of my job is when, even when like a question is brought up like the, the best wide receiver duo, I'm like, well, there's two guys in... Vegas that are pretty good. And right. that's like my initial, right. like, why are you talking about the Raiders? <laughs> it's my article. They're number one. And then I'm like, okay. Can't I, do that. I can't do that. That's that. There goes your credibility. So I just try to be honest. Like I try to imagine that Derek is going to hear the answer. And he is, he's going to hear what I say. He watches my show. He, right. everybody, even though the players say they don't pay attention, they, they know. Cause I'll see guys and they'll be like, Hey, remember when you said this about me in March? And I'm like, Nope, but sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember that, but I did. I guess I did. So yeah, you have to, you just got to be honest. I mean, that's when it comes down to it is I just try to be as honest as possible. And I try and tell both sides like disrespected. Yeah. I get why Derek said he's disrespected because when you talk to guys in the inside that building and I talk to John Gruden or I talk to Mike Mayock, they absolutely love him. And so he gets, he gets that. And then outside there's the, well, he shouldn't even be the quarterback here. But these guys are telling him that he's a quarterback forever here. So it's like there's two different things going on. So he's like, I feel disrespected. And some people say, well, he's feeling disrespected by his team. It's not his team. It's the outside noise that you just inevitably hear because your phone is literally right. on you nonstop. So you have to see it because if you don't see it, your wife's going to see it or your brother's going to see it. And not me, my other brother. He'll text Derek. Hey, would you see this? Like, dude, what? Darren, stop. Or my kids, my 
like crazy children will like put out a tweet that someone said like in this group text where Derek and my other brother and me and them were all in the same one. I'm like, guys, you can't put that on the phone. He's going to see it. Like, and then we got this whole issue going. So it's like, it's just a nonstop process. But yeah, so you just try and find the balance and just tell people because people can see if you're genuine. Like if I'm trying to blow smoke and say, no, Derek's the greatest ever and there's no problems with the Raiders, like they're going to be like, whatever. Then I'm not right. listening to this guy. But if you're honest about it and you're like, hey, guess what? The defense didn't play good enough last year. Offense, they could have made some more big plays. They have holes here and here and here. And you're just honest about it. People kind of respect you for it. And then it's fine. Well, it's almost like chum in the water for Darren, right? Your, your, oh, your other goodness. brother. Like he'll, yeah. he'll go at people on Twitter. Yeah, Darren does not care. Yeah. And he's like... And the, the best thing Twitter's ever done is not given him a blue check mark because that's all he wants is verification. And so that's honestly why you get all this heat. So if they're smart, if Twitter was smart, they would just leave the blue check mark off. Don't mess with DCAR75 or whatever his Twitter name is and just let him keep throwing heat because, man, if you even, like, whisper that you have, oh, I'm not sure about the Raiders, like, he's going to come. He'll, he'll come at you. 100, yeah, that's him, dude. He's a, he's a pit bull. What, what was, um, you know, I did the, the Titans preseason games yeah. last year. They bring Tannehill in. Mariota's the guy and has been the guy there for a long time. Now Mariota's in Vegas. Yep. They're paying him eight million bucks to be a backup. Yeah. What were what were Derek's thoughts when that went down? Yeah, I mean, first of all, him and Marcus, they've known each other for a while and they get along really well and they talk a lot. And Marcus is it was really funny because and I'll and I'm I'll be honest, just like I was on our show when they initially asked me about it, and it's not just because Derek's my brother, but like when Marcus signed with the Raiders, I'm in the you know, the position where I have to give my honest analytical opinion, opinion about it. And I'm like, well, that's not really a good fit. And like I said that and people got upset. I'm like, well, it's just like Marcus needs to be in a situation where he can run an offense similar to what Lamar Jackson runs. Like I watched Marcus in college and I've talked to him about Electric. This. Yeah, man. Like he's dynamic and he needs to be involved in that type of offense. When, when he was in Tennessee, like you saw... I mean, firsthand, you saw Ryan Tannehill when he went in. I mean, he's a pocket passer. Now, Ryan can scoot and he can move mm -hmm. and extend plays. But, I mean, that went through Derrick Henry. And that was throwing one-on-ones out there to A.J. Brown and those guys. And it, wasn't, it didn't really fit Marcus's ability, you know. And I think if Marcus is going to get the most out of his career, whether it's in Vegas or wherever it is, got to utilize him like that, you know. And if he gets a chance to play in Vegas, I hope they do that for him because right. he deserves it. And Derek will be the first one to tell you that, but you know they paid him a lot of money because he's a good quarterback, and and you got to have guys that can step in and win games for you. I and mean, that's what John said to Derek before they even did it. We're going to add a quarterback. They haven't done it. They've had a chance five times in the last couple of years in the first round to add a quarterback in the draft. They haven't done it, but they do need a guy because I was at practice um, just two years ago in training camp, and I got thrown into seven on seven because the backup quarterbacks couldn't complete a ball. With, with the Raiders? With the Raiders in 7-on-7. Seven seven. Like, John's like, Dave, get in here. And I'm like, nope. Stop it. Yeah, and I swear this happens, right? So we're in the spring, right? It's not training. It's in the spring. I'm up there just hanging out. Me and my dad are out there, and he's like, get in here. And I'm like, no. He's like, go. And he was mad at ex-quarterback. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but he's no longer on the team because he couldn't complete a pass in 7-on-7. Seven seven. Of course, I checked the ball down like two or three times. I'm like, let's just get out of here without an embarrassing situation. But like he wanted a guy that if Derek got hurt, they could go in there and still win games. So you got you got to pay for veterans like that. And Marcus is definitely one of those guys. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard, dude. He's, he's a crazy man. John Gruden is is he's awesome. Like, but like okay, so the best way to explain John, and I'll and I'll say this if he's right here, like you know a lot of people like when they're on TV, you know they always tell you like hey bump the energy up, like right of before course. our show yeah. we start, hey energy up, energy up. 
He is way over the top energy up guy. He almost has to dial it back down to look like a normal person on TV. Like Monday Night Football, like he had to maybe look like he was a normal person and he would still come off kind of crazy. He's completely crazy in real life. Like away from the cameras, insane, throw an analyst brother into seven on seven in an NFL practice that hasn't taken a snap in five years crazy. <laughs> were, were you a little nervous even on the check? Oh my goodness. Throw? I was like, the ball's going to slip out of my hand. Like I don't have <laughs> cleats on. Like, and then, so he threw me out there to throw Pat and go. Like I've done it several times now. Like he'll just, he'll see me out on the sideline. He's like, Dave, come here and get a snap. Show these guys how to get a snap. Like, I don't like get a snap. I'm going to take a snap from this guy in my life. Rodney, we're going to be all right, Hudson. We're gonna... Okay, good. <laughs> He's just, he's nuts, man. He's, he's awesome. Derek that's, loves him. That's incredible. How has the transition to Vegas been? Uh, and tell me about these, tell me about the workouts. Like, does he, does he find a field? Like, how does that, how yeah, that so like, down? So they, they moved out there. Um, actually, so when the COVID thing happened, you know, they took their kids out of school. His youngest son was in, in preschool, kindergarten. And he ended up coming home. They're like, well, let's go to Vegas. You know, we're, we're going to go anyway eventually. So they ended up moving out there. And then players started coming, and he's like, well, we got to get some workouts in. We can't work out at the facility. They wouldn't even let them on the, on the field. they got, you know, brand-new grass fields out there. They can't use it. So they would go out at, like, 6 o'clock in the morning to these random parks, and they would have to alternate parks because people would figure out that they were going to be there. Right. And so they'd show up, and the news cameras would show up. So they jumped around to, like, five or six different parks in the, in the Vegas area, Henderson and surrounding areas, and you never knew where they were going to be. And uh, that's kind of what they had to do for like a month and a half, two months. And so what they would do is they would do, uh, Derek would have a meeting with John like the night before. They'd go over a script, get, get some ideas together. And then Derek would just take that practice script out. And eventually at the end, they had 30 or 40 guys out there that were in Vegas just practicing, you know. And it was totally legal and fine because they're just out there trying to get work in. But it was a full team. Like they would have full seven on seven, full team periods. And it was really interesting to watch. But it was also kind of funny to watch them kind of try and avoid you know, the crowds and stuff. And oh, I can totally up. relate. There's local media is trying to track, okay, where are they going to be? They could yeah. be here. They could be there. Yeah. And they would try and get a pattern. They had a helicopter one time over. Did they it really? It was crazy, man. Yeah. Did he, cool. Would they have lookouts that would... Yeah. So they had like people that would go out early and be like, okay, like, so he had a camera guy that would, that kind of does a lot of Instagram stuff for him. And kind of, you'll see him like shoot some of the stuff for Derek and some of the other guys. And he would go out early, like sit out there like 4.30 in the morning, like wait for the sun to come up. And then like, okay, all right, we're good. You guys come on the house, everybody, wah! You know, for two hours, and then they disappear before 7, seven o'clock, 8 o'clock. So it worked out good. So no fans for the Raiders. They've already announced that as yeah. have several other teams. Uh, is the black hole going to be right here during the season? Or will you guys, will, will there be able to have family yeah. members in the suites and stuff like that? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, we've kind of tried to talk about that with, uh, with Heather, with Derek's, with Derek's wife, to see what they're going to even allow out there. And what she's heard so far is nothing's happening. Like, so Mark Davis isn't going to the game. Like, no one's going to the game. So that's kind of where they're at right now. Right. Um, so it'll be packed here. Like we're open for business. So that's you want, amazing. Want to come out and be a part of the yeah, dude. I, the, the, there's a good, the there's a good viewing area yeah, in there. Face yeah, mask. I yeah, love yeah, that. Yeah, we'll be good. Um, all right. Well, I've asked you enough questions about Derek. So I want to, I want to get it. It's good. I, it's great. I yeah. just, I think it's awesome. And I, I know how excited your family is, and I love seeing your excitement level when you talk about him. And it's be um, fun. yeah, I. It's funny every time I'm on another podcast or talking about football. Whenever Derek comes up, especially now with Marcus, because I know Marcus a little bit. Like, yeah. I hope Marcus does great, but I hope he doesn't see the field. Like, yeah. I, I like, I want Derek. That's to do, okay. I want the yeah. Raiders to do well in Vegas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? yep. yeah. I think it'll be fun. I mean, if they can all stay healthy, they got a chance. And that's what like they even asked Derek the other day, and he was like, "Did you think about opting out?" And he's like, "Absolutely not. Like, I just there's not an option at this point. Like, we we had a lot to prove, and like he's 
he's kind of and the, even like the Kobe thing when the Kobe thing happened, like that was that was Derek's guy. Like, the, I know how much Kobe he looked Bryant. up to Kobe. Yeah. yeah. Um, so like he's he was playing no matter what. Yeah, if there was two teams out there. And what is he doing? He's gonna wear a Kobe arm he's sleeve. Wear arm sleeve. So it's funny, man. He uh, in our little group text that we got with my boys in there, and and Darren, my other brother, his son. He's like, all right, you guys help me pick the outfit. And it's like almost like a Madden like creative player. So like he was at the facility. He threw a helmet on. He'd throw a jersey on. Throw some pants on. He'd just stand there, and like he would do like a little spin. <laughs> and we'd be like, no, that one's trash. No, that helmet looks stupid. You look like Darth Vader. Like give me another one. So he'd like to put another helmet on. And then like when he pulled the sleeve on. We were like, that's it, man. Yeah, it's Kobe. You got to wear the sleeve. He's oh, like, that's yeah, awesome. I got to wear the sleeve. So it was just like a sleeve. FaceTime call. And he's yeah, just doing a little cool. modeling show. Yeah, so he would do like a little model and then like he'd put the phone down, like change an outfit real quick, flip it back up. And like he would be like, yeah, that's cool. No, take, take the shoes off. The shoes are trash. Like put some other <laughs> shoes on. So yeah, it's pretty sweet. That's amazing. Yeah. Quick break now. Tell you a little bit about some of our sponsors. Vaco, the motto there we invest in your career so you are here for the duration of ours. Vaco is a premier talent and solutions firm that finds boutique level service with global reach in the areas of consulting, consultative project resources, executive search, permanent placement, and strategic staffing. You need somebody to fill that C-suite position? Vaco has you covered. Their areas of expertise are aplenty. Accounting, finance, technology, healthcare IT, operations administration, or international managed services. It was founded back in 2002 by a good buddy of mine, Brian Waller, and one of his friends, and it has grown since then to serve 40 markets, 1,000 employees, 5,000 consultants, and 750 million in revenue. Been very fun to watch my good buddy Waller grow his company and grow it he has. Check him out at vaco.com. That's V-A-C-O.com for more information on how Vaco connects people to their dream jobs and helps leading companies around the world find talent to grow their business. Vaco.com, V-A-C-O.com, they can help you. So I started taking this product, True Niagen, about a month ago. Really wanted to invest in my long-term health, and I think you should too. It's a new trend in the scientific community that surrounds the health of our cells. And this affects everybody, from pro athletes to weekend warriors like most of us. We have something in our cells called NAD, which supports our energy and our body's ability to repair itself all the way down to the cellular level. Well, it turns out that NAD declines as we age. It also declines when we overexercise, we don't sleep enough, and even when we're exposed to a virus. There's only one NAD booster that is backed by Nobel Prize winning scientists, 10 published human studies, and regulatory approval for safety, and that is true Niagen. Additionally, True Niagen is NSF certified for sport. Visit TrueNiagen.com, T-R-U-N-I-A-G-E-N.com to learn more, and I think it will help you all the way down to the cellular level. It's made me feel pretty good over the last month. Check out True Niagen. And finally, I want to tell you about Greens Plus, a company based here in Manhattan Beach, a health food leader since 1989, really known for creating the first ever blended green superfood powder that you can just dump into a smoothie, has all kinds of nutrients that are just fantastic for your body, and it tastes great. Also, Greens Plus bars, incredibly tasty as well. Helps boost your energy, get you that nutritional insurance that your body deserves, and it's all organic gluten-free, soy-free, 
premium green superfoods. You can get them at Whole Foods, Amazon, or if you want to save a little money, go to greensplus.com and you get 20% off with the promo code HELI. That's 20% off with the promo code HELI, H-E-L-L-I-E, at greensplus.com. I love the chocolate protein bars and the wild berry superfood powder. Growing up in Bakersfield, was it always Fresno? And refresh my memory, yeah. I can't remember what level of recruit you were coming out of high school. It was kind of weird. I, was, I wasn't like one of the top recruits, but like, so Scott Lanahan was in Washington, who was eventually the offense coordinator in Dallas. Um, he was up there, and so he saw me. And I at was, UW? At UW, yeah. Okay. And so he saw me and liked me and offered me a scholarship. And then UCLA did the same thing, but no other Pac-10 schools at the time. And a couple other schools back in the Midwest, but like you know, Colorado and like, it was kind of weird. And then Fresno was interested and then they weren't. And they were kind of going through a, a change where Jim Sweeney was the coach for a long time. And then he retired. So like the recruiting thing kind of, I just got lost in the shuffle and Pat Hill came in and no one called me for like two months after the season was over. And I was like, I kind of want to go to Fresno. I, I mean, Washington's cool and Scott's pretty sweet. And UCLA, I've always wanted to go there, but I'll probably be like the third or fourth guy and have to work, you know, because I wasn't the top five, you know, recruit or whatever. So I was kind of waiting for Fresno to call me, and we lived there for a while. I went to school there in junior high. Uh, I met Trent Dilfer, who was the quarterback there when I was in junior high, at my buddy's house. He just came over and talked to a bunch of us at this little FCA thing, and it was pretty sweet. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. So he would invite us out to practice. So I was always a Bulldog fan. And then when I was getting ready to sign, I was literally getting on a plane to go to Washington, and I was probably going to sign there. Because I, I felt I had the best chance to play, and Scott was like the most, um, as far as just being aggressive, like he was on me. Like he would talk to me like almost every week. So I was like, well, he, he seems like he's interested, so we'll go. And I was like, right before we got on the plane, we're going the next day. I was like, Dad, just call Fresno and see if they're even like interested. So he calls, and Pat Hill literally answers the phone, and all the calls were being directed to his cell phone. He had just got off a plane, and he was in LA, and he's like, don't leave, I'm coming to your house. So he drives to our house. And so he's there the next morning at like 8 o'clock in the morning. We're having breakfast, hanging out. He comes in with his little duffel bag, and it's like duct taped up. He's got his little Fu Manchu. And <laughs> the most like aggressive, like just my mom was like completely turned off by this guy. She's like, you're not playing for him. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. She didn't like Pat at all. And my, But my dad was like, this guy's the one. <laughs> that's, that's it was amazing. so funny, You have man. those polar opposite oh, dudes, yeah, the same yeah. dude. And uh, yeah, it was just because he was eating off my mom's plate. Like he was just like <laughs> grabbing her drink and like... I'm like looking at him like this dude's literally insane. He didn't care. He no, was just he didn't nuts. care. No, he's like, I'm an offensive lineman. Like, I want to protect your son. Like, that's when my dad was like, okay, offensive line, got it. And that's what he built. Like, so I, we signed with him. Like, I was like, yeah, I'll come play with you. And he's like, perfect. And he's like, okay, can you guys come up tomorrow? And I was like, sure. So we went up to Fresno, and then like a couple other guys came in that I talked to, and then Pat was like, oh, this guy was gonna go to Washington. He signed up with us. Like, you gotta come. So we kind of put together this little squad. And then five years later, we have a pretty good run, and we're like top 10 in the nation with those same guys, like the same 10 or 12 guys we recruited like that week, like of me just like, That's oh, I'll come play with that guy. Like he would snap to me like in live team drills, like no pads, and just because the center wasn't doing his job and he wanted to instill toughness. We would do live goal line like on game day if the warm-up wasn't going good. You know, like every guy's just warming That's up. That's unheard of. No, we're just warming up. We're just, yeah. no, this warm-up's not intense enough. Live goal line. Like, we're standing there like Air Force is on the other side. Like, they're just kind of, like, watching us. Like, these guys are insane. They're full-speed tackle, like, right on the field, right before the game. But he was he was great, man. He instilled, like, a toughness and, like, a competitiveness that we'd play. That was his motto is, like, we'd play anybody anywhere. And we did. Like, my last year, we ended up playing Oregon State 
They were number one in the nation. They just beat Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl the year before. They had all everybody. Dennis Erickson comes in, and we beat them at home. Then we played Colorado, beat Colorado, beat Wisconsin in Camp Randall, and we were like sitting around like we're eight and zero. We're like, oh my god, this is real. This is real. And then then I couldn't go to school anymore because like I'd go to school and like you get mobbed. Sports Illustrated, like my philosophy teacher, like hands me like thirty like Sports Illustrated, like hey, we sign these for me. I'm like, do I get an A in the class? <laughs> 30 of them we won't answer what happened but yeah, yeah of I, course signed, you got the I signed the sports illustrated for him yeah and it was all good so it was just hard to even go to school because like the whole town went literally insane right you know and then uh yeah it was, it was a great ride was that the best year of football you ever had it was it was definitely the most uh yeah just like because the the emotions were just so crazy you know because college football already is like an emotional thing yeah and it's so community based and i had i would have like just speaking of like living back at home like i'd have like my teachers from third grade there I'd have like my my buddies from high school like that went to school with me here in Bakersfield they would come up so there'd be 20 of them and then all these people would be on the ramp like they're all there as I go down like here's my teacher here's my buddies oh, that's pretty here's sweet. my soon-to-be wife here's my you know here's my family and let's go play for 50,000 of them and it was just nuts man so yeah and that, that was probably the yeah probably the best year for sure so after that year it's 2002 the Texans were an expansion team. Yeah. And me. At, at what point did you know you were going to be the number one guy? So uh, Chris Palmer is the offensive coordinator, and Charlie Casually, who we both know, he's, they started coming around to the games, and they probably came to like two or three of my games. Then they came to my Michigan State. Uh, I played Michigan State in the bowl game. I threw for like 600 yards, and it was just like crazy. It was back and forth, back and forth, like 50 to something. Like We lost, but we had so much fun. Like It was raining, and I met him after the game, and I was like, they, there's no way they have to pick, they have to pick me. That's like in my head. That's what I was after thinking. that game. Like, like after, yeah, I literally completed every pass. Like I don't know what else I'm supposed to do. And like I just remember like having that much confidence talking to them. Like just shaking their hand. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna be your quarterback, right? Like that's kind of what I was thinking. Well, I'm a little kid from Fresno. Like Julius Peppers is out there. I'm right. Like what am I? Who am I supposed to be to say stuff like this? But yeah, and then so I don't know. Probably a month before the before the draft actually happened, I'd gone to the Senior Bowl, did the scouting combine. Charlie casually takes me out to to dinner and he's like, "We're gonna we're gonna get the contract down. We're gonna take you." And this was probably a month before the draft even happened. So we moved out to Texas and we got a house and I started working out out there. And then we flew actually to the draft um, with the owner of the team and with got the, picked and wow. yeah, and then with flew back with him. Yeah. And so you get there and and like you said, you're this you're this guy from Bakersfield and then Fresno and you weren't, you know, this five-star recruit coming out, but yeah. now all of a sudden you're the number one pick. You get a signing bonus. And I can't remember where I read this or saw this. It was one of your old interviews. I can't remember if it was 11 or 14 million. Did you really have a conversation with your dad saying you're going to go cash the check or something? I think that what I wanted to do is make sure that the money didn't disappear because we're from <laughs> Bakersfield, right? So stuff tends to walk away sometimes. So I was like, I think the best thing I can do is just cash this check and then just keep the money in the house somewhere. Like, <laughs> literally, that's how naive I was. <laughs> we'll just we'll stash in the walls. We'll just find a secret compartment. I watched too many movies when I was Too many up. heist movies. Oh, huh? my gosh, dude. I, I love heist movies. So that's probably what happened. But yeah, I know that. I'm sure that I was not prepared for all of that. Like, I was down to play football and all that stuff was great. But like everything else, I was just a, a kid from Bakersfield just trying to survive on McDonald's, man. I wasn't ready for that. But you were you were married. You already had a kid or Yeah, we had kids? one. Yeah, we had Austin. One. Yeah. So at least you had that. Yeah, you weren't well, going to Houston like this, you know, bachelor, like going No, that would have been crazy. Yeah. I don't even know how guys go to the NFL single, like honestly at this point. Like it's almost impossible. Right? I'm sure they have a lot of fun, but it's like it's, it would have been so difficult. So for me, having my wife and, my, and Austin there – 
And then we kind of, we grew our family. Like that, that was great for me. Like if I wouldn't have had that during that time, that would have been very difficult because we were not very good. Like it was a tough situation. Like there were times where, you know, a year in halfway through that season, I'm like, football shouldn't be this hard. Like it's never really been this difficult. Like we maybe need to think of something else. And like having those thoughts, I'd never had those thoughts before. Like maybe let's try and figure something else out. You know, midway where, through the first yeah, season. Through, I mean, I've been sacked 40 times in like six games. and like, this is really difficult. I remember telling my wife, I was like, I don't know what else to do. Like I'm trying to do everything I can physically. I've always had a pretty good work ethic. I'm trying to prepare mentally as well as I can for a 22 year old kid that doesn't really know how to prepare. But like, I didn't know what else to do. And so like, you're at a point where, okay, is this is, this is it, right? Like can't get any better. I guess I just have to get good players around me. Like, but I didn't know at the time, like I just thought I was in the NFL. Everyone's good. Right. We got good players. Why aren't we winning? You know. You you were on pace at one point that rookie year to be sacked a hundred times, and obviously it ends up seventy six, which yeah. is still you know a, a record to this day. How did you make it through that? How how did you get through that season with your head intact? I remember as my offensive line coach was like, you know, they probably would sack you a hundred times if you weren't so fast. <laughs> I'm like, thanks, thanks, dude. We we're about to go play the Redskins with Bruce Smith and. Daryl Green was still playing, um, but in, Bruce ended up getting me for the 76 sack. I think he has the record, the, the final one that got me. But, uh, I mean, how did I make it through there? I mean, just my family and my faith and just knowing that I, I was supposed to be where I was. Now, it, maybe it's going to be really difficult, but I was never one to kind of run and hide or quit anything, you know. I was sure I had the, for me to even have the thoughts of maybe this isn't for me, that's like, that would, that's really difficult because I was never allowed to even have those thoughts you know and growing up my dad didn't raise me that way so right it was uh it was a difficult situation because I just there was it was really like a helpless time where I didn't know what else to do like physically mentally there has to be something more I can do like I felt like I could do all the physical things required maybe I didn't know all the mental things but I knew where the protection breakdowns were happening I knew where to go with the football but it was just like at some points I mean I, I I'd get hit by five and six guys at one time it's like can't really spin out of that one, you know? <laughs> so what do I do in this situation? And, and Charlie was great. Um, Charlie even told me, like, we started working together on the NFL Network, and he was like, you know what? And this was, I mean, this was 15 years later, but he was like, if I would have known that we couldn't have protected you, I wouldn't have picked you there. I would have let you go to Carolina at number two, and we would have taken Julius, and we would have built our defense right. and kind of got a veteran guy in there. And I'm like, oh, now you tell me. <laughs> Thanks, man. Well, of course, the issue was they drafted, they got Baselli in the supplemental yeah, draft, yeah, and, and, they, he and he, he couldn't play. Yeah, well, he came out with his robot arm. Like, we tried to put him out there, you know, in OTAs, and they built this crazy brace for him, and the guy couldn't move. Like, he couldn't even move his arm. So, like, the, the thing was, like, stuck, like, in, like, a good position. And, like, I remember our rookie, like, undrafted guy comes off the edge and just kind of knocks his arm down and runs by and tags me and I'm like this isn't gonna this isn't gonna work so be good and Tony wanted to go like he it wasn't his fault like just couldn't go he just couldn't go you know like he wants to use his arm you know he can't use it so he's an all-pro player that would have we, we spent a lot of time together in the offseason getting to know each other and like man this is gonna be great you're gonna solidify the left side we ended up getting I think it was Ryan Young that was gonna play the right side and then we were like we, we had a decent offensive line and then he got hurt we flipped Ryan over Ryan got hurt in the first preseason game, so he's out. So both my tackles are gone. So now we started five rookies, four rookies, and then a, a one veteran guy on the offensive line. It was rough, brother. You had you had one. I don't even remember who it was, but your left guard, your starting left guard that season, never played an NFL game again after that season. Yeah, probably. We had a. You know what we would do? We would. Uh, <laughs> it's funny now because I can sit here in the comfort of my own home. It's 68 <laughs> degrees and we feel pretty good about it. But we'd be out there in, in Houston and. 
uh, like on a Monday, you know, and they would work out guys. Well, they would literally bring guys in. They were like, oh, he's 400 pounds. We saw him at the grocery store. Let's put him at tackle. So they'd bring him in. They'd bring in like five or six guys, and they'd go through these workouts. And I remember sitting there, I'm like, okay. And then they would come. They would start. Like they would literally start at tackle. Never After working out on Monday. Like it, maybe they'd been on a team before, right. you know, but they got cut and they're like bouncing around trying to find a spot. Oh, Houston's got an opening at tackle. And then we go and, oh, we're going to play the Colts and Dwight Freeney. And like I go to snap the ball on the first snap and he doesn't even get out of his stance. I'm not going to name the guy's name, but he doesn't even move like on the film. Freeney, come boom, back of the head, fumble. <laughs> Tackle's still in his stance. So, sorry that I'm laughing. He's still in his stance, bro. <laughs> like at least move, you know, but... That was it. That was our life for a while, oh. for a year and a half. You had the be- your your best year in Houston. I think you guys finished seven and nine. But Andre Johnson yeah. came on board. Is yeah, that- he helped. Yeah. Um, what, what's your what's your best memory? What's your best on field memory from your time with the Texans? Uh, well, honestly, our first game was it was Cowboys, kinda, we right? We ended up beating the Cowboys, which was my favorite team growing up. My my grandfather's favorite team. Everybody was at the game, and it was kind of it was kind of funny because you know yeah, of course we had all the issues, but we're like. We won. We're going to 8-8 eight and eight maybe we'll go. You know, maybe we'll get in the first round Your of the playoffs. first NFL game. I was thinking the after the game, I'm like, <laughs> we might get in the playoffs. 22 years old. Like, then we go play the Chargers, and I got hit like 20 times. And we got wrecked in junior sales in the A-gap, jumping through my center and guard every play. We had, we had no answer. No answers for him. So that was the rest of the season. But, yeah, you know, probably that Cowboys game. And then, and then, I mean, even that seven and nine year, I mean, we had some, we had some good runs. We, we lost like three games, I think, in the last minute where we'd go down and score. I mean, Favre did it to me once. We'd go down and score on Sunday Night Football. We're like, got this. And I was a big Brett Favre fan. So I'm sitting there, I'm kind of watching as a fan, but I'm kind of like, we got to win this game too. I'm like, I think we left him too much time. There's like a minute left and Uh-oh. he freaking touchdown. And I'm like, oh, that was kind of cool. Wait, we lost. <laughs> <laughs> they have like three or four times that year. Ryan Fitzpatrick ended up playing us uh, that year. We're up. I'm like, so the coach, he lets me call my own plays in the first half. We're really? Up, we're up. Yeah, we're up 21 to three. Because it was fun. We just got in like a three wide receiver set, two by two. And we would just get on the line and try and catch them off guard a little bit. Like, right. you know, I'll give you some, some standard plays that you can run. And you just call them how you see them. And it was easy because they'd line up. And, you know, when you do no huddle type stuff, they'll line up in pretty much base coverage. And if they do anything funky, you'll see it pretty quick. So we end up scoring like 21 points in the first half. We're like, sick. We go in uh, halftime, and the coach is like, all right, we got them right where we want them, guys. We're going to pound the rock in the second half. And I'm like, I don't know if I like the sound of that. And so we go back out, and we start running it stuff, running it stuff. And I'm like, can I call my own plays? Or are we just going to go back to this? No, we got a good lead. We're gonna... And it was like, of course, you're going to lose this game, right? And so Fitzpatrick just comes. He comes in. They throw a touchdown, onside kick, touchdown, game over. Ugh. JP Lossman, Buffalo Bills. Yeah, Remember JP, of course, did the same thing to us. Threw a touchdown with like 13 seconds left. Like it was a, we could have been like a, you know, 10 and 16 that year, maybe got in the playoffs, but that was it. That's the razor thin line in the NFL. Yeah, it is. That's what we were talking about earlier. Everybody's supposed to be kind of eight and eight, you know, and if you have three of those games break your way, well now you're a 10 or 11 win team and you're in the playoffs, you know. So five years in Houston. Five years in Houston. And then your next season, you go to Carolina. Which Carolina? And that was a quarterback room with, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Vinny Testaverde was there. Yeah, Vinny was there. Jake DeLone was there. And Matt Moore, right? And Matt Moore was there. We had a, we had a good quarterback room. Uh, we all played. because All know, you guys played at least three games that year. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of a crazy year. So I broke my back that year. Uh, I remember talking with John Fox. I went out there. I love John. Like He was a good buddy with Pat Hill. And... Um, I was like, man, I just need, I need a year to just kind of like reset, you know, cause, and I talked to him about like, I don't know if I'm, 
I don't know if I want to play anymore. Like, it was difficult. Like, the Houston thing really, like, kind of rubbed me the wrong way with football. Sure. And uh, he's like, oh, yeah, I don't know. You just come out here. You'll be our backup. And then the second game, Jake DeLome, we're in Atlanta, breaks his hand or whatever he did. And I'm like, sick. Let's go. So I went in. We won the game. Ended up, I don't know if I threw a touchdown pass, but we ended up winning that game. And then the next week, I can't remember who we played, but I was New Orleans. And uh, get just crunched. I sit down. I can't remember who it was. Lands in the back of my head. I go for a compression fracture, bottom two vertebrae in my back. I'm like, sweet. So you I'm felt in, it right away. Yeah, I knew right away. I'm like rolling around on the ground. Steve Smith's on the team. He runs over. He's like, you're all right. I'm like, can't even like talk to him because I'm like out of breath. So we go underneath the in the in the dome, and they're like, well, it's broke, but you can't really do anything else to it. Like it's just <laughs> it's pain tolerance. <laughs> like so, I'm like, wow. I'm like, so wait, I can't. Yeah, it's like we can give you, you know, we can give you some. Tylenol. And I remember be, you saying this story before. It'd be yeah. cool. And I'm like, well, give me the Tylenol. Let's go. And so like they gave it to me. Then I go take a couple snaps in the in the tunnel. And I'm like, I mean, let's let's just go try and do it. I could barely get under center. And I go to the sideline and Steve's like, just throw me the ball, dude. Just throw me the ball, we'll be fine. And New Orleans is not easy to play. Like it's a tough yeah. environment, you know. So I go in, I'm uh, my adrenaline's through the roof because my back is broken and I'm like just trying to survive this thing. So I'm just trying to like pinpoint accuracy. I'm trying to make sure I'm precise on every movement because every movement hurts, you know? And I end up making a couple nice throws to Steve and then I hit him on a touchdown and we ended up winning the game. And then I, but then I don't play for a month after that because I woke up the next day and I couldn't wash my hands in the oh. sink. I'm like, my kids are making fun of me because they're running around. So it's Austin and Tyler. They're little at the time. And they realized that I couldn't grab them. So they would like come up and they would like mess with me or like kind of flick me in the back of the head. And then they would jump on the ground and I'm like, ah, and I couldn't like grab my kids, like pick them up off the ground. So yeah, it was a, it was crazy. So then Matt played, Vinny played. I came back too early. Mike McCoy let me come back. He, he probably shouldn't have. He told me he shouldn't let me play. I tried to play. I didn't play well. And then uh, I think Vinny played that next week and he played pretty good. So I was like, Vinny got it. And then I ended up leaving after that. And you go, you went to the Giants. I went to the Giants, yeah. So Coughlin was, Coughlin was good friends with Dom Capers, who was, uh, who was my head coach in Houston. And when Tom was out of a job in Jacksonville, he hung out with us for a year. Like he literally was just at our facility and we would just chat and talk. And so when I left Carolina, he was like, just come up here. Just come up here. Eli's obviously the quarterback, but you'll be our backup. Because I'd known him for 10 years, you know, at that point. And uh, so I went up there and it was great, man, because they were, they were the best team in football the year before. Uh, they had just won the Super Bowl. You know, had David Tyree with the catch. Mm -hmm. So I got there in OTAs, and they got Jared Lorenzen, hefty lefty out there, uh, Anthony Wright. They got like five quarterbacks. I'm like, really? Like, all right. So I I start throwing and end up, you know, getting the backup jobs. Just me and me and Eli, and uh, spent the next two years there, and it was it was great. And then ended up going to San Francisco. Why did you Why did you go to San Francisco? So I was there for two years. After the After the first year, it went good. Got in a couple games, threw a couple touchdowns. Sean O'Hare is there. Offensive lines absolutely nails, and it's easy. Football was just easy, you know. And I was like, I haven't had football be this easy, and where I can just do my job and we win. You know, that's all I have to do is just what I'm capable of doing. And really learned how to like study the game too from Eli. You know, being even though he's younger than me. You know, we would sit down and have great film sessions, and Tom Coughlin would be in there too. And Kevin Gilbride was actually really good at that as well, like really teaching me how to study film, how to prepare for the opponent. And I got a lot better in like those first two years, the two years that I was there in New York. I played, I played a lot because we would blow teams out. We were right. a good football team. 
And so I'd play like the second half of a lot of the games and, uh, and I just got a lot of confidence back and I'm like, I can do this. So we started me and Eli would sit there and he was, he was one of my, one of my biggest fans when I was there. He's like, you got to go start somewhere again. And so we would literally start, we'd watch game film and we would watch teams. And he's like, San Francisco needs a quarterback. They're like a, literally a quarterback away from going to this thing. And so when I, my contract came up, I was like, well, let's go check it out. So I went out and visited San Francisco. Mike Singletary was the head coach at the time. And so I signed with, with San Francisco to be their quarterback and with Alex. Alex was there. Mm-hmm. And we signed the same, same year, same money. And so it was going to be open competition. And then I get there, and I'm there for about two days. And the GM that was there gets fired. And so now it's like the guy that brought me in, I'm not his guy anymore. And Singletary was not really interested in offensive football. Tried to stick his nose in there a lot. Right. Singletary's a great linebacker, and he's a great guy. But he micromanaged on the offensive side a little too much. And we weren't very good. We were a talented football team, but we, we were bad. And we would had a bad scheme. Offensively, I remember I'd get in, I'd get in like heated debates with the offensive coordinator, Jimmy Ray, because it just didn't make sense to me. I was just in New York. They just won the Super Bowl. This is how you run offensive football. There's answers for situations that come up in the game, and he didn't have answers for certain things. Like, I'm like, what if they bring these two guys right here? He's like, yeah, just buy some time. I'm like, that's not, that ain't working, bro. Like, you can't just buy time here. You got to have an answer for that. And like, so we butted heads big time. Right. And so I wouldn't play. I just, I ended up, I played in the last preseason game. I was like 10 for 10. And then after the game, he was like, I'm not really sold on our offense, our, our, our backup quarterback. And I'm like, this dude, because we just didn't get along. Right. You know, and I was like, I just had a perfect game. Like, I just literally did everything that you asked me to do. But so anyway, that, that whole year happened. Did you feel like that was a lost year then? Um, yeah, it was. So I went back to New York. And uh, so I got, so I ended up, um, yeah, so Harbaugh comes in to San Francisco. Right. And he's like, we can't pay you the same as Alex. Obviously, Alex was playing and, you know, he was going to make some more money. He's like, will you take a pay cut and stay? Like, just trust me, man. It's going to work out. Like, we're going to be a good football team. And I had a long conversation with him for like, you know, it, it went over like two days. Like, I called him, talked, went into the office, talked to him, and I'm like, I just can't do it. I got. I'm, I'm, I just don't feel like because they had just drafted Colin also, mm-hmm. and so it's like Alex, me, and Colin. I'm like the third guy out because you didn't bring me in. I know you want me to do well. I know I, I appreciate. But you're what not you're his saying. guy. You're not there. Yeah, guy and I appreciate point. what you're saying to me. And he would tell me like oh, I ended up staying in Indy for less money. We ended up playing better, and I I respect him for that. Like he was honest with me, but at the time I could have I could just walk back to New York and do the same thing. So that's what I did. I ended up going back to New York, and then we played them in the NFC Championship that next year. And I spilled the beans and told them everything that was going on and all the personnel. And, of course, that's what you do. That's what you do. Everybody do. does that, so, yeah. And Eli just gets his head knocked off in this game. Justin Tuck, like, we're in San Francisco. It's, like, sloppy, and he's just getting wrecked because San Francisco's legit. Like, they're a good, good defensive line. Um, and Tuck's like, you're going to have to go in and win this game, dude. I'm like, maybe. I mean, Eli's Gumby. Like, he literally is Gumby. Like, he doesn't get hurt. I'm like, <laughs> it is pretty incredible. he's going to be fine. Like, right. let's just be real, Tuck. He's not going to be hurt. And he had a, they won the game. We went to the Super Bowl, and they won the Super Bowl. So it was fun. So you, when you left San Francisco to go back to New York, was that kind of the first time in your career you had said, "I'm I'm a backup quarterback." Yeah, from here on yeah. Because at that point, I was like, I went out to San Francisco like to be the guy. I'm like, I'm gonna. I know Alex is there, but I feel like I'm pretty confident in my ability. I learned a lot when I was in New York. I'm ready to do this, you know. And then I got out there, and that whole thing happened, and I just. I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm not that I'm content with being a backup, but I'm pretty comfortable in that role. 
and I know that there's a team out there that's a pretty good team that has a, you know, they think highly of me in that role, and they wanted me back as soon as I um, told Jim Harbaugh I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Uh, Coughlin called me like an hour later. He's like, just come back to New York. I got a spot for you. So I ended up staying there for two more years. And you, and you, get, that, you get that ring? That yeah, must have been great. pretty sweet, Yeah, it was right? great. And I, I loved New York. I mean, it was, you know, I love Eli, but I almost wish he didn't exist because that would have been a great team to play for. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's fascinating, though. You say you could, you played six years in the league and then you get up there to New York and, and you're, you're still learning. Like, you're learning other yeah. ways to, to study. Yeah, it was because I, you know, when I first got to Houston, Tony Banks, who I love Tony, but he was trying to still play. You know, he had just come from Washington. He wanted to be the, the starting quarterback, and he sees a young guy, and he's like, I'm not going to help this guy. And a lot of quarterbacks have that feeling. And I'm, I'm not, you know, bashing Tony at all because he wanted to get on the field. So why is he going to spend time trying to teach me how to play right. the position? So he didn't, you know, and we were good friends. We'd go play golf together, and we'd do everything. But he was interested in playing. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't really learn a lot. I, I was kind of just on my own trying to figure out, okay, what do, I, what do I study here? You know, it's Monday afternoon. I'm going to watch some games of the Titans. Um, and then Tuesday, it's my day off. So I'm just gonna go play golf or something, I guess. It's my day off. Like that's what right. your day off is. And then like, we're <clears throat> halfway through the season, Steve McKinney was the center. He's like, you know, you can come in and work out on your day off. And I'm like, really? <laughs> it's my day off, dude. Like <clears throat> I was told not to come in. So I didn't come in. And, uh, so it's just a weird, and then, you didn't I, know, but you didn't know any better. That's know. what you thought was, there's no other quarterback. Tony's not going to tell me to come in. He was in there, but right. he wasn't going to bring me in there. You know, I'm, I'd see him like, I'm like, so you were here yesterday, Tony? on Wednesday he's like yeah I'm like oh, this dude <laughs> you can give me a call or something bro <laughs> so that's what that, I kind of went through that and then I got to New York and it was like Monday and Tuesday that was quarterbacks day like we were working you know we were right. just in the building and I would I would be there all day and then I'd leave at like five o'clock and go home have dinner with my wife but that was normal that's what quarterbacks do but I didn't learn that until six years in that's amazing yeah it's crazy man that's the kind of stuff that I wanted to tell Derek you know just to make it easier for him it's like no oh, your day off's not Tuesday bro that's your work day right you know? It's not physical, but you're doing your work. You know? But that's one of those type of things that when older guys see that, they're like, oh, man, like he's not, well, you didn't even know, but he's yeah. not here on Tuesday. You know, he's not working hard, right? Yeah, like, no, exactly. Yeah, and I had no idea, and no one told me to be there. Right. It's just one of those, you know, unwritten rules that it's just, that's where the quarterback's at. Right. Know? So it was, uh, yeah, it was a learning process. But. Has there been any learning process for you uh, post-playing career? You know, whether it be TV or whether it's oh, man. coaching or business? Yeah, well, so... Had a lot of things. I think, well, TV was fun because, you know, like you have someone yelling in your ear on the field, but it cuts off 15 seconds. They can't talk to you anymore. So like at 15 seconds, you're like, I'm free. The next 15 <laughs> seconds is like heaven. <laughs> Call my own play and talk to these guys. They don't stop talking to you on TV. Yeah. They're just like, you'll be saying something. That was the thing that like, it almost, I was froze. Like I'm talking and I'm just like, who's talking in my ear? So I just stopped talking. And then on camera, it's like, why isn't Dave talking? I'm like, because someone's talking to me. <laughs> because I'm listening now. I have respect for my elders, and someone's talking in my ear, so I'm going to listen. You know? So that was like a learning curve. All the TV stuff, because I didn't do any of that stuff um, in college and high school. I didn't prepare at all for that. The only preparation I had for any type of media stuff was being in New York, because there was 50 people in the locker room every all day. All the time, yeah. Yeah, and I'm talking to Kim Jones. I'm talking to you know Garofolo. I'm talking to all these guys that are now they're on the network uh, with me, and... Like, it was just a great spot because Eli wouldn't talk, wouldn't say nothing. You could never get anything out of him. And I'm like, just Mike, come here. I'll tell you what's happening. And so me and Garofolo would sit down at lunch and we'd just talk about the team. And it would help him out. Right. And then I developed a relationship with these guys. And then Sean O'Hara ended up doing 
uh, an NFL film spot out there in Philly. And he said, come out here and do this show with me. And so I did it. And then I was like, I don't want to fly out to Philly all the time. He's like, oh, they got a studio in LA. I'm like, perfect. And then I came out and you were there and we went out to lunch, hung out yeah. and got to meet everybody. And I was like, this is pretty cool. LA is nice. And so, yeah, so that was the learning curve. Coaching in high school was hard because I showed up with a full like Giants playbook. Like, hey guys, we're going we're gonna to take over the world. And we had maybe three guys that could play football. You know, we're at a little <laughs> Christian school. Like, we're terrible. You know, like these guys are like, first of all, I'm not here for this. I'm here to get an education. I'm going to go to college somewhere. Like, we don't have any. We didn't have football players until like a year and a half after I was there. Like, they started coming in a little bit. But I tried to teach them the entire New York Giants offensive system. Right. And they looked at me like, what? Who is this guy? What are you doing? What's this clown doing? Like, we had three plays last year. What are you doing with 300? You know? So that was a learning curve, too. We got waxed our first year. We weren't very good. And then I... And then I kind of learned how to, you know, teach high school kids football, you know, and you kind of just pare it down, find out what they do really well, what they can do really fast and not have to think. And then, and then you can still like, for me, I started calling plays like to where I could get the quarterback on the hash near me. And then so I could talk to him because there's no crowd noise. I didn't, I didn't think about that, but I'm like, if I can get this guy seven yards away from me, I can just tell him where to throw the ball. It's kind of a a weird dynamic, but like you even like watch now, like I'll have buddies come out and watch our games. They're like, you're always calling the plays till you're near hash. I'm like, yeah, so I can tell the quarterback. So what to you're, do. you're saying while the play's going on, I'm like, telling him where to throw it. Yeah, because like in high school, you know, they don't play a lot of different defenses. You know, you'll see a team. You know, some of the best teams. Like we played, won the state championship last year in our division, and that team played three defenses all game. You know, and I could see him right away because I'm, I'm trained at like another level. Of you course. know, and yeah. I'm, so I'm using. So if I'm using that ability, and I can tell this. This high school kid who you met out here, you know, who you saw throwing the ball out here, like where to throw the football before it happens. That's pretty much what I do. So it's been fun. So you've been the OC. Been the OC, Your yeah. brother, Darren, is the head coach? Yeah, he's the head coach, yeah. And is your dad the defensive coordinator? Does uh, quarterbacks. Yeah, because I yell, I, I get upset, and I don't want to deal with quarterbacks. They're high school kids. They don't, they don't get it. So I'm like, Dad. <laughs> so we had a kid come off the field crying one game. And I'm like, I don't know how to respond to that. I don't, what am I supposed to do? Like, I can't talk to him. Dad. Well, how does your how does your dad respond? Because he's, the, he's the big tough guy, um, though. He's... He is though, but like he's so mellow now. After he stopped working, and now he just does the quarterbacks. Like he was a nightmare to deal with. Like it's so funny. Like my kids, they'll even like they're like Papa yelled. I'm like Papa was the worst yeller ever, and now he just is happy all the time. Like he's a completely different animal now. That's so awesome. He deals with the quarterbacks that cry. I can't do it. I can't. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> he deals with the quarterbacks that cry. I can't do it, man. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so what else What else keeps you busy? You have a training facility. I mean, you have your place here. Yeah. Is there another place that you Yeah, have? there's another one. Um, so we developed a pretty good relationship with Valley Children's Hospital, who's in this area. Okay. They have a hospital up in Madera. They have another couple facilities, smaller facilities kind of throughout. And so we have, we got a training facility with them. Um, and then we have a, another gym um, kind of centrally located in Bakersfield where a lot of our clients go. Now, we'll bring people out here, but it's kind of a, on an individual basis or like a small group basis mm-hmm. unless I'm bringing like, you know, 10 or 12 of Tyler's buddies, which is my son that, that plays at BCHS. We'll bring them out. But other than that, the majority of our clients go to that centrally located place or, or the one with the hospital. So, Do you, There's so many guys now that are quarterback coaches yeah. for big time prospects. Yeah. Do, you, do you ever have a desire to do that? I did think about doing that for a while and I kind of, I kind of dabbled in it a little bit, but it's, it's a lot of time, you know, it's a lot of time and I enjoy the high school kids. I like talking to them cause they don't know anything. They know nothing. Right. And like I went down and I talked to Rosen at UCLA. I think we might've talked about it yes. before in the past and like, I'll, I'll do some of that stuff for guys that I've played for like coaches that are there 
and I'll who go ask and, you to come in and yeah, speak. Yeah, they'll ask guys. me to come in and speak to them, and so I'll do that, and I enjoy that because that kind of challenges me mentally, kind of puts me back in that space. But I also like to teach, you know, just our basic philosophy. Like we're sitting down, and randomly, our Super Bowl against the Patriots is up. It's on, you know, NFL films or whatever, and we're sitting there, and so I just break out the playbook, like that's in my desk, and I go over and sit on the couch, and I'm showing my son Tyler who plays. I'm like, oh, it's our first third down. Here's what we ran. And like, I show him the play and like, we start talking about X's and O's and he knows nothing about that stuff. So like any information I give him, he just absorbs it. And it's kind of the same thing that I noticed with like junior high, high school kids. They just absorb literally everything and they, they're able to kind of regurgitate it and spit it back. So you can kind of like form, form those guys and kind of shape them into where they're going to have a chance to be pretty successful. And it's kind of like what I did with, with Derek. Like he showed that he wanted to play quarterback kind of around... 11, 12 years old, and I just started bringing him in quarterback rooms with me. And he was just a sponge, man. He would take in all the information, wanted to know everything about protections. And then he'd be sitting up there in the stands with my dad, and he'd be like, oh, here comes the, the nickel will, and like they're going to bring this pressure. And like sure enough, they'd bring it, and he would see it, and he's 14, you know, or 13 years old. So like that stuff's fun for me. You know, the college kids are great, and they're going to go on, they're going to do their thing, but I'd rather just analyze them kind of tell everybody what's wrong with them. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about an, being an analyst for games? We, we called a yeah. Fresno State game together, and yeah, it was, was this was crazy because it was a, a streaming game on Facebook. Yeah, that's right. And it was the first game you had called, I believe, yeah, right? Yeah, it's the first one I've done. And so, <laughs> we're, we're, I don't know if you remember this, but we're like five minutes away from kickoff. Uh-huh. And I look over at you, and I've said, so do you know how this works? And you're like, I think so. And I said, well, you know, I'm going to call the play. You give your analysis. Yeah. But then when they get to the line, you need to lay out in broadcast terms. That means don't talk, shut up yep. and let me call the play. And you're like, all right, cool. And that was it. Like that was, that was <laughs> all the schooling he had on calling a football game. And I thought you were really good. It was fun, man. And I was surprised that you didn't, you didn't really do a whole lot more of that. Yeah, no, uh, probably because you, yeah, you ruined me, dude. You get like, it was just so easy. <laughs> You broke it all down. You're like, this is it, man. This is how you do it. And I like to keep it real simple. It was dude. just so smooth. I was like, I can't work with anybody else. Like, this would be a disaster, you know. So that's honestly, it was fun. I, I enjoyed doing it. But so I started talking to uh, a couple different uh, organizations that, that do that, and then they would be like, well, the game's on Sunday, but you got to come out Friday, and you got to be there Saturday for the interview, and then you got to do Sunday. And then sometimes you can leave Sunday. Sometimes you got to come back Monday. I'm like, I got kids, man. And so that's kind of where it's at, yeah. honestly. For me, because the, so with the with the NFL Network, I'm able to do our shows, and they're great at understanding that I got Friday. I have games on Fridays now. Maybe not this year, you know, right? Until later, but you know, for the last five years or how long I've been there, they've been super flexible about knowing that I need to coach my high school team, be there because my kids are playing. You know, if my kids weren't playing, and I was just saying I want to be a high school coach for just for the joy of me being able to get victories against high school coaches, that's kind of selfish. But like my kids are out there. And I want to be there. And that's kind of why I stopped playing. Honestly, that's why I, after New York those last two years, my son was going to be a freshman in high school. And I'm like, I got to be kind of done here. You know, we got to go do our thing. So we moved back here and that's what I've been doing. So that's honestly why I haven't done any more TV stuff um, as far as broadcast goes. I love it. I, I enjoy right. it. I, that's my favorite part. Even when we do like the studio shows, my favorite part is just to tell you what's happening. Like explain you know, be able to explain to my wife and at the same time have the respect of my brother as I'm explaining what's happening. It's not easy to do. No, it's hard. Yeah. yeah. It's hard because 
you inevitably might let one of those people down, you know, or you're going to be too, my wife will tune me out because it's too much information. Too my technical. Bro- or- my brother's like, oh, you just like that guy just because he, whatever, he went to Fresno. Or I'm like, it's not technical <laughs> enough for me. So he'll just tune me out. But so I try and find that like balance, you know, yeah. and that's kind of what I think about when I'm doing it. Well, I think it's, it's the hardest thing to do. And, yeah. um, a similar story with, uh, with Joe Thomas when he stopped playing and he was one of several people that, um, auditioned for that Monday night football job. Yeah. Um, that ended up going to uh, to Booger and then and then Jason Witten yeah. and, and Joe's very good on TV as well. But I think that was part of the deal. Is I, I he's told this story before, but I think it was Tess who said, "All right, it's you know it's a Monday night game, but we're gonna go, we're gonna be in there early, we're gonna be in there probably Thursday or Friday, and you know we're gonna Joe's have a big like, team dinner." It's not happening, dude. And he's like, "Hold on, if the game's <laughs> on Monday night, you want me coming on Thursday or Friday, and you know because that's when you meet with the teams, yeah. and then the, the visiting team flies in on Saturday and." Chell's like, dude, that's like a full work week. <laughs> that's, that's, Are you out of your mind? When you talk to Eric's players, like, first of all, that's why they don't become coaches. Like, because we're like, first of all, the coaches, did you know that he slept there last night in the building? Yeah, he has a cot. Like, Coughlin slept in his office. Like, we're, he's crazy. So he's out, right? We're not going to coach. And then we find out that you guys have to go to the games four days ahead of time. And like, that's crazy. Right. Like, I don't know if you remember, but the Facebook thing, like, I showed up about two hours before that <laughs> yeah. game started. Yeah, and, I, I do. And then yeah. we did our thing and we were good. And it worked you know? out fine. And it was perfect. Yeah. You know, and everybody got what they needed and we got to call the game. And yeah. had a good time, and we get yeah. to go home. And you got to drive right home to Baker. I drove home an hour and a half later. Yeah, yeah so it was perfect. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't it doesn't always work out that yeah. way. But um, all right, a couple of quick hitters, then we'll let you go. Okay. Um, last thing you Googled. <laughs> um, how to hang a sword in the in drywall? I wanted it because I have a Braveheart sword that my uh, my dad got me that they used on the set. Like it's a replica, you know, it's like a fake one, but he got it for me. So I'm like, okay, I got to put this in my office. I don't want to call someone, you know, because like. I'm 41 years old. I should not. You should have had it. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to do it right though. I don't want it to fall because it's heavy. You know. So I googled that yesterday. I haven't put it up yet though. Right, so, so you are gonna. You are gonna. I'm do gonna it hang yourself. it up. Yeah. I'm gonna do it myself. Yeah. I would totally hire a handyman to do that. I know. I, what if the sword falls? Like, if the sword falls, it could hurt somebody. It could hurt a lot of people. It could hurt. It could hurt myself. It's yeah. right above my desk. Yeah. You got you a know? two-year-old. I mean, a lot could go wrong, Dan. But yeah. hey, it's a chance I'm willing to take. So uh, hopefully right. the information was. Appropriate. I hope it's a good YouTube video. <laughs> I hope so too. We'll find out. Um, we're driving here with. Uh, cameraman Brian and um, I you know normally drive a truck a, a Tahoe but we decided to bring the car perfect and um, it's a long flat road there weren't a lot of cars so um, I got up there a little bit oh you yeah know, I was man. testing it I think I, I hit oh, I, I hit my limit I, I I I don't know Brian was it 112 Okay, now you, you, you I think you looked <laughs> he away was paying attention I think you looked away at 107 know. I did we did hit double digits I've never yeah. done that before but it's once you get over what's called the grapevine, you're kind of going through these foothills. It's just flat. You're in yeah, farmland, man. and you can go. Yep. So for a long time, I'm not sure what car. You, you're not going in the studio right now. You haven't been in for four or five months during the pandemic. Yep. But beforehand, you would take that you know, hour 45, two-hour drive in a, in a Tesla, and yeah. a lot of times you would just let it drive itself. Yep. But I'm sure you went fast. What's the fastest oh, you've gone? You need to answer this question. I already told you. I went over 110. Okay. The statute of limitations. Is yes. That Nobody's going to hear this. It was like three years ago. Yeah. I think I did 156. 156. <laughs> That's amazing. In it was the out Tesla? Here. Yeah, no, it wasn't in the Tesla. It was in a it was actually in a Ferrari that my brother bought me. Oh wow. Yeah. And I uh, which is my brother's crazy. So Derek, when you get thirty million dollars a year, it's you like, gotta buy you your brother. Just buy your nice. brother a Ferrari. It's like yeah. I, it's like I don't even want this dude. Like, I'm gonna do the Ferrari in Bakersfield. Are you kidding me? Like, You're gonna go one fifty six. We'll go one fifty six on an old farm road out here and and scare the crap out of some people that are in the car with me. So that was fun, man. Yeah. And I've done that. 
I haven't done that uh, straight line stuff, but I've definitely in Bakersfield, uh, Sheriff Youngblood, if you're listening, um, I'm sorry, but your roads are perfect, man, for these, these nice long country drives. Like there's some really cool foothills around here. You can slide a Ferrari around a corner. For, no way. For a good... What do they call that? Trip. What are they drifting? Drifting, yeah, yeah. It, when you have a car like that, it's so much easier. Like I'm not a great driver, I, so I grew up in Bakersfield. We raced go karts, so I love racing. Like I'm, I would consider myself a pretty good driver. Right. But those cars make you so much better. That like so Todd Sunterpack, who's the CEO for Valley Children's Hospital, big time guy. Like you know, but he likes his cars. Now he can't drive them, but he likes them. <laughs> so I put him in that car, and we came off an off-ramp over here on the West Side Parkway, and I was sideways the whole time, so smoke all the way up the hill. And he was grabbing the little handle, like, terrified, but he was giggling like a 12-year-old. It was hilarious. That, well, we came, we came off one of those new roads oh, that yeah, had been man. built. There's some good and, ones. And it's, there's a, there's, I mean, it's like a NASCAR track. Well, it's, it's because it's like Bakersfield. A, it's not like a 25-degree grade. We don't do the little slow off-ramps here. Kevin Harvick designed these right so nascar guy like <laughs> you're gonna come off i-5 you're gonna come off at a 45 and be able to is he it. from here oh yeah yeah casey mears rick all those guys all those guys are from here yeah so you grew up racing I, I went to, yeah i went to school with casey mears who's uh his dad was roger mears raced baja of course, trucks rick yeah. mears indie guy he would drive all these random you know race trucks to school and we would go jump them over the canal and yeah i grew up doing go-karts and stuff like my mom sold my go-kart because it was dead but it was just a spark plug. My dad got home was pissed. Is that right? Oh my goodness, he was so mad. She sold it for like 75 bucks. Oh my God. It was my go-kart, dude. Like that's what I did. You know, I threw a football and I'd race go-karts. Sold it. That explains why you always come in, you'd always come into the network wearing like racing shorts or like oh, yeah, a t-shirt, man. like Fox or Fox whatever. <laughs> Fox Racing. When, my boys, Fox when racing. my boys listen to this, they're going to absolutely roast me because they said that's the only shorts that I wore for yeah. like 10 years is Fox Racing it shorts. Because I could mountain bike in them. Yeah. I could go race in them. I could get them dirty. And they had pockets. I could keep my plays and my pins in there. I could go out to coach. <laughs> so I would literally go coach at BCHS with like Fox Racing shorts on. They're like, who is this guy? Like, That's so funny. Hey, well, I'm glad got, I'm not the only one that does. I got noticed. 12 pockets. You don't, so. <laughs> you don't need anything else. Uh, this, these were supposed to be quick hitters. We, we went up Sorry. into a rabbit hole on that one. Uh, smartest quarterback you played with? Uh, Eli, for sure. Yeah, he was just like... Well, when I first got there, it was, uh, it was one of those deals where I thought I knew the game. I was six years in. I'd started a lot of games. But he would see stuff on film, and I would be like, I didn't even see that, you know. So, right. and then and then he was able to. His processor was just faster than everybody's. So even on the field, we would I would be standing behind him in practice, and he'd see something happen. He'd throw the ball, and I'm like, Where is he throwing this? And then it just kind of floats into this the middle of the defense, and then boom, hits the guy in stride. I'm like, I didn't even, I didn't even see that, you know. And so that was like he had the uh, in the in the whiteboard. On the chalkboard, he was nails, but then he could take it out to the field, and it was like even faster. It was just really, it was really awesome. What's the number one most important trait for a quarterback to be successful in the NFL? Uh, it sounds simple, but it, it's accuracy. It, and it, so I would say, it's a one trait, but accuracy and decision making. That's all that matters, really. I mean, you, toughness is there. You know, you got to have you got to have the intangibles. You got to have a strong enough arm. Right. Assuming um, that's all even yeah, though. Yeah. Assuming right? all that stuff is there. Like assuming every quarterback is tough and they've played football their whole life. They understand what it takes. Um, I would probably even lean more towards decision making because everyone's accurate, right? Like right. if you're in the NFL, you're an accurate quarterback unless you just can't For the hit most the side part, of the right. barn yeah. exactly. But if you can make good decisions um, in the run game, where to go with the ball, you play for a long time. 
Yeah. Speaking of decisions, did you second guess your decision to tweet at Jameis Winston about his workouts <laughs> with his trainer buddy? You know what's so hard about that is like, yes, okay, so I'll say yes because I know Jameis. Right. And like even in the even in his response back, like he was almost like, why don't you just come say it to me? Right. You know? Right. But he almost he did he make you feel bad in the response because I did. thought that was a pretty good response. Like he, if, like it was the best response it was because good. he like. Hey, dude, like we've had real conversations like this before. Right. Like, why don't you just come tell me? But you know what it was? It was like, and it's hard because on Twitter, I'm just the ex quarterback that works for the NFL network, but I also have training facilities and I see people do things all the time that are just not right. And like, if I see Jameis Winston or Alvin Kamara or someone do something in the training room and I'm a young player, I'm just going to go do that because they're Alvin Kamara or Jameis Winston. They're right. good players not knowing that Alvin Kamara can do what he does just because he's Alvin Kamara. Like he, that's not going to help you. Like you need to do things a different way. You need to understand how your body moves. And like Alvin's bored, like he's bored because he's such a good athlete. I'm going to throw all these weights on my back and kind of balance on this ball. Like I can do that because I'm a physical freak, but you know, we shouldn't do that stuff. And Jameis the same way. Like Jameis, you can have a big swinging ball fly at your head and you can kind of move out of the way. Like that's not, that's not really helping young guys that are watching you do that. So that's where my frustration is. That's where it came from. That's where it came from because I, I teach kids all the time now. Right. You know, yeah, I'm the ex quarterback, and, and that's kind of where that's where people see the information. That's where Jameis saw the information coming from. But for me, it was an attack on his trainer. I'm like, Tra- your trainer's terrible, dude. Right. Like, get a new trainer. That's where that's why I should just wrote. Right. I shouldn't even have wrote anything else. But <laughs> my man Jameis hit me. He cut me deep, man. He cut me real deep. Did you did you even respond to that or did you just I let didn't that respond one go? to him. I actually ended up contacting him, like DMing him and like you, did. you know what, dude, this wasn't and I kinda explained it. I was like, This is just a this is, you can do better, man. Like there's you're a great quarterback. There's other things that you can work on. Like you don't need to and he said but he but he told me like he's had the same trainer since he was like twelve. You know, right. it's his boy. Yeah. You know? So I get it. Yeah. It's just it was, uh, I probably should have went about it a different I way. Saw, I saw that, and I'm like, oh, boy, this is interesting. Um, all right, last one. All right. One career do-over. Man, that's, um, that's hard. I probably, my initial one is I probably wouldn't have gone to San Francisco. I probably would have stayed, because even Coughlin was like, just stay one more year. I had one more year um, available, he said. you know, and then, and then just maybe a different spot, because... When I got out there, from the moment I got out there, it was all like kind of, this isn't right. From the moment I signed. Because like I signed and then Patrick Willis comes out and he's like, we don't need another quarterback. We have, you know, Alex, we have whatever. And I'm like, this was day one. Oh, wow. So I got on the phone with Patrick and I'm like, dude, I'm not here to like ruffle any feathers. And he had just come out of surgery. So he's like, dude, I was kind of high. He's like, so I'm (laughs) sorry. Still floating a little bit. Yeah, he's like, I I just, I was just reacting emotionally. Like, I'm glad to have you. Like, and he was totally cool, but that was day one. Day two was the GM, or day three, GM gets fired. Day four was me and Jimmy Ray, the offensive coordinator, like butt heads and like, your protections suck. Like, we're going to get killed, dude. You know, and they did. And we did, you know. And so, and then Singletary hated me. Well, he didn't hate me. Like, Singletary, we'd get along great off the field, but on the field, we just, you know, we weren't, I wasn't feeling Mike as a head coach, yeah. you know? And uh, I just missed Harbaugh by a year. That's the only thing. That's the only thing I regret, like, just the timing of it. If I could have shown up when... That when, next year. When Jim got there. Like, if I would have stayed one more year in New York, and then, hey, you know what? San Francisco still needs a quarterback. Go out there that year. I mean, look at the success Alex and those guys had. So, you never know what could have happened. But then I wouldn't yeah. have won the Super Bowl, too. You know, you know, point. You never know. Got to yeah. put a positive spin on it. Right. DC, thanks, brother. You got it, man. Absolutely. It's fun. I appreciate it. I'm going to go take fun. a swim now. Anytime. <laughs>